Good afternoon. I want to read and pray and then rush to share the message from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, entitled, When Grace Gives You Something to Brag About. When grace gives you something to brag about. I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God, here we are again, your people, ready to hear your word. Please give us open hearts and receptive minds to what it is that your spirit will say to the church. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me and use me now for your glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. When grace gives you something to brag about. A U.S. Air Force transport plane 
with his captain and five crew members was flying over Alaska in the mid-50s when it encountered an unusually fierce snowstorm. The navigator contacted an airbase only to be told that they had veered several hundred miles off course. Correct coordinates were given to the navigator who continued to insist that his own calculations couldn't have been that far off. Soon, the plane ran out of fuel. The six men decided to abandon the plane and parachute to safety. But because of the negative 70 below degree temperatures and wind gusts of 50 miles an hour, they were all frozen within minutes of hitting the ground. The rescue team that discovered and retrieved the bodies three days later found proof that they were pretty far off course. As a result of the navigator's pride, five other people lost their lives. In our text, Paul is warning the church at Corinth that their coordinates are off because they are leaning toward the prideful miscalculations of false teachers. Paul is again using reverse psychology to counteract the false claims of the super apostles who are attempting to discredit his ministry. He says, in essence, your game of bragging and boasting is futile, but I'll play alone and beat you at your own game for the sake of this congregation in Corinth. These false teachers made the most of personal achievement, ministry success, and spiritual experiences. Unfortunately, Paul was superior to them in each of these areas. And so here, after speaking against them in chapters 10 and 11, he now arrives at the boasting in revelation from God section of this missive. Here, friends, is the text message. God's grace provides continual power when we boast in our weaknesses, not our strengths. God's grace provides continual power when we boast in our weaknesses and not our strengths. What happens when grace gives you something to brag about. Four things we'll press on for the afternoon. Note, first of all, that when grace gives you something to brag about, 
you will be honest about your limitations. Your private experiences with God mean nothing to the people who watch you live. Paul describes being caught up to the third heaven, an experience beyond human comprehension or articulation. He refrains from boasting about this vision, emphasizing humility and the importance of focusing on Christ alone. Paul speaks clearly about himself as if he's talking about someone else. He tells us that I can boast in behalf of this man who experienced this heavenly vision. But personally, I only boast in my weaknesses, even though what I could say would be true. This is a cut against his opponents. Paul had true experiences, which he chose to keep personal. They had false experiences, which they used for public manipulation. By emphasizing his weakness above his revelation, Paul demonstrates great spiritual maturity. He realizes that God gave him these visions and special encounters for his faith and not for his popularity. By doing this, Paul ensured that the authority in the church would not be based on ecstatic experience, but on the actions and words of its leaders. Paul forbids any assessment of himself and his ministry by standards other than his actions and his words. This same wisdom would help the post-quarantine church navigate her way around false teachers even now if she listened. Don't allow people to sell you themselves. Even now, false teachers are busy trying to mobilize and market their experiences so much that they've forgotten to tell people about Jesus. Paul says, in essence, I'm not trying to build a personality cult. I'm interested in expanding God's kingdom. I don't boast in what has happened because I don't want you expecting more from me than you're going to get. A recent news release told of a Charlotte, North Carolina woman who set a world record while playing a convenience store video game. After standing in front of the game for 14 hours and scoring an unprecedented seven and a half million points on a game called Tapper, the woman was pleased to see a TV crew arriving to record her efforts. She continued to play 
while the crew alerted her fiance and prepared to shoot a video. However, she was appalled to see the video screen suddenly go black. While they were setting up their lights, the camera team accidentally unplugged the game, <laughs> thus bringing her bid for 10 million points to an untimely end. The effort to publicize her achievement became the agent of her ultimate failure. But don't look down your nose at her because the truth is, if God showed us what Paul saw, we would have called a press conference, <laughs> gone live on Facebook and Instagram at the same time, tweeted a summary in the allotted amount of characters, set up a documentary, wrote a book, and did post-presentation exposés with media personalities. The punchline is this. You've got to learn to accept none of God's glory. Note secondly, that when grace gives you something to brag about, not only will you be honest about your limitations, but when grace gives you something to brag about, you will be clear about why life hurts. The pain in your life is a gift from God to keep you humble. Paul reveres, reveals that he was given a thorn in the flesh, a metaphorical representation of a physical or spiritual affliction that the apostle had to deal with. The purpose of the thorn was to keep Paul humble and reliant on God. What was Paul's thorn? We've got to ask Dr. Schreiner. <laughs> the truth is, we honestly don't know. It could have been some chronic physical pain. It could have been the consistency of ministry opposition. It could have been demonic interference in his spiritual attempts to spread the gospel. Whatever the reality, the fact was that Paul's thorn was debilitating and likely humiliating. Actually, the thorn's anonymity has proven to be a good thing because it allows a broad application of afflictions that God ordains for each of his children. Because suffering is a means of sanctification, all your pain isn't designed to be punishment. God sometimes has to forcibly tangibly and repeatedly counteract pride in our lives so that we don't become unusable. Balance is the goal. 
Paul says, heaven sent me a gift. Hell was the delivery service. And when I opened the box, it was a wooden stake inside. Despite its nature, Paul pleaded, but God didn't move it. Surprise, this unwelcomed and unwanted gift was sent with great significance and then left in place to do its job. Weakness reminds us of our need for dependence on God, and it prevents us from becoming comfortably prideful. It humbles us, enabling us to emphasize, to empathize with others and extend compassion. Hear me today, friends. Accept none of God's glory, but then set your heart to accept all of God's gifts, even the ones you want to return to sender. When grace gives you something to brag about, you'll be honest about your limitations. You'll be clear about why life hurts. Then notice, thirdly, that when grace gives you something to brag about, you'll be satisfied by God's answers. The grace of God is enough to help you through every situation. Oh, that's good news today. Paul now tells us that he prayed about this thorn and it didn't go away. On three different occasions, he begged God to remove this painful gift. However, God does not remove the thorn, but assures Paul of his sufficient grace. God's grace is not merely a temporary solution, but a continuous source of strength in weakness. Much like Jesus in Gethsemane, the great apostle to the Gentiles is forced to live in the crucible of suffering because God's purposes are bigger than his comfort. Jesus had to drink the cup and Paul had to keep the thorn. In God's determination to conform Paul to the image of Christ, he had arrived at the crossroads between unwanted pain and unfulfilled purpose. It was too late to break up with Jesus, so Paul was forced to keep walking with the assurance that even through his affliction, God was still working. You see, this text forces us 
to be confronted with the reality that God doesn't always offer our desired answers to prayer. And sometimes the divine response that we receive are the exact opposite of what we desire. God is not a reluctant giver, so he doesn't take back the thorn. He simply medicated the wounded area with grace. I want you to hear this. A no from God wrapped in grace is better than a yes from anyone else wrapped in nothing. God's grace is not limited by our weaknesses. It is magnified through them. When we surrender our weaknesses to God, his power is made perfect in us. On the one hand, you need to accept none of God's glory. On the other hand, you need to accept all of God's gifts. But, but then you need to accept the need for God's help. God will give you a burden too heavy to carry, but then give you the strength to bear up under the load. When grace gives you something to brag about, You will be honest about your limitations. You will be clear about why life hurts. You will be satisfied by God's answers. But fourthly and finally, let me tell you that when grace gives you something to brag about, you will be transformed through your weaknesses. God provides the most strength when I acknowledge he's my greatest need. Paul recognizes that weakness is an opportunity for God's power to be displayed. So now he shifts his perspective. Understanding that weakness is not a hindrance, but a platform for the glory of God. Power in weakness is the actual formula for salvation. His power in our weakness allows us to exceed our own expectations. But consider this. Death, the weakness, led to resurrection, the ultimate power. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says it like this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory 
in the church and in Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. When you consider the beauty of 2 Corinthians, you will note that as Pastor Ryan described, it begins with comfort. It continues with Paul talking of the triumphal procession as he pictures himself chained to Jesus' chariot. It expands with him doing this metaphor of a clay pot, and he highlights his endurance, but it crescendos here with Christ's gracious response to his request for relief. Here's the punchline to the whole book of 2 Corinthians. You have to die. Yeah, I knew that wasn't going to excite you. <laughs> Paul's earthly weaknesses, not his revelations, are to be the very stage for demonstrating the Lord's power and grace in his life and ministry. This is because as believers, we need to understand and take heart in the paradox of power. Listen to what he says. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. It's divine arithmetic. My weakness plus his strength equals my power. No, wrong equation. Rather, my weakness plus his strength equals his power. So make a decision not to brag on your strengths, but to rejoice in your weaknesses so that Christ can be personified and glorified in your life. You see, instead of viewing weakness as a burden, we must see it as an opportunity for God to work in us and to work through us. Our weaknesses become a canvas for God's strength and a testimony to his faithfulness. Accept none of God's glory. Accept all of God's gifts. Accept your need for his help and accept that your weakness demands his strength. Dr. C.J. Mahaney, in his book, Humility, tells of a day spent with the highly esteemed Dr. D.A. Carson. During their conversation, Carson shared a profound conversation that he had once had with Carl Henry. He was the most well-recognized and respected theologian of his day. And interestingly, he was revered for being brilliant 
and humble at the same time. When Carson asked him how he remained humble, Carl Henry offered the following reply. How can anyone be arrogant who stands beside the cross? God's grace provided for me in Jesus is always enough. This is why when I'm really weak, then I'm effectively strong. You cannot brag on God's grace unless you're willing to boast in your weakness. When grace gives you something to brag about, it's always that you need more grace. I'm a weak servant with a strong master. I'm a fallen person with a faithful provider. I'm a depraved sinner with a gracious savior. I'm a powerless human with an all-powerful God. All I'm trying to tell you is that I need more grace. Grace saved me in my sin. Grace keeps me every day. Grace helps me when I pray. Grace fixes me where I'm flawed. Grace encourages me when I'm down. Grace reminds me that God is not through with me yet. Grace flows down. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Amazing love now flowing down from hands and feet that were nailed to the tree. As grace flows down, it covers me. May we regularly reflect on the profound truth revealed in this classic text. God's grace is not only sufficient, but abundant in our weakness. When we embrace our weakness and surrender them to God, his power is made perfect in us. Let's remember that our weaknesses do not define us. Rather, they serve as a platform for God's glory to be revealed in our lives. God can make us a community that embraces our weaknesses, relying on heaven's strength and experiencing his transformational grace. Let's learn to extend compassion to one another, knowing that we are all in need of God's grace. May we live as vessels of power, allowing his strength to shine through our weaknesses. And in doing so, we will bring glory to his name and inspire others to seek his grace for their own lives. Amazing grace will always be
my song of praise. For it was grace that brought my liberty. I do not know just how he came to love me so. He looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. I shall forever lift my eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me. How marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul. He looked beyond my faults and saw my every need.